Good morning. This morning we are reading from Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. We're, um, we're studying the doctrines of peace. We're learning about biblical wisdom for our personal conflicts, but also biblical wisdom for living in a polarized age. And uh, last Sunday, if you were with us, we learned that the Christian's first priority in conflict is to glorify God. As, as Ken Sandy puts it in his book, The Peacemaker, uh, the first thing a Christian should do when we realize we are in a conflict with someone else or we find ourselves in a conflicted or divisive situation, uh, we should remember that we exist, as the Westminster Confession says, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And we start there. But today is about the next step. What's next? Practically speaking, once you recall that you exist to glorify God in all things, practically, what, what, what do you do next? Well, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7 today, and we see Jesus says, now this is part of his famous Sermon on the Mount, his vision for how his followers should live and impact the world in human history until he returns. And in that Sermon on the Mount, as he was ramping up to, to the conclusion, he says, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So here's what's next in conflict under remembering that we exist to glorify God even in our conflicts. Here's what's next. Be very, very cautious. What did Jesus mean by telling us Judge not. Because, like, have you thought about that for a second? Because we have to judge constantly in our lives. We, we have to judge people's character. We have, to, we have to judge the words that are coming out of people's mouths. We have to judge their actions and, and their body language. We have to do this all the time, don't we? I mean, how else would you hire somebody for your company if you're not using good judgment? How else will you decide whether or not to marry somebody unless you are using good judgment about their character and their personality and their intentions and motives, right? So we have to always judge. Why did Jesus say, judge not? Well, this is what he meant. He meant, don't condemn. Don't condemn someone. Don't morally judge another person because that's for God alone to do. He's the true judge. Instead, what we're going to see in the following verses is this. Jesus tells us, apply discernment in your conflicts. Don't apply condemnation, because that's for God alone to do. In a conflict, you have to apply discernment. 
You have to be discerning about the other person that you're in conflict with. You have to be discerning about other people and the situation itself. And most importantly, you have to be discerning about numero uno. You have to be discerning about yourself. So really, don't attempt to fix others before you have begun to fix yourself. That's practically speaking, under remembering that we exist to glorify God, practically speaking, this is our first priority in any conflict or divisive situation. Don't fix other people until you work on fixing yourself. We're going to talk about fixing yourself today. We're going to talk about fixing other people. And we're going to talk about how God fixes what is unfixable in us. Fixing yourself, fixing other people, and finally, how God fixes what is unfixable in everyone. So fixing yourself is the first practical step to take in a conflict, according to Jesus. He says in verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now, this is carpenter's language. That was the family trade, right? Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, was a carpenter. So he's speaking the language of his, tr of his trade and his family. Speck, it meant a splinter of wood. Think a splinter of wood. Think, uh, think a wood chip. Imagine, imagine a carpenter's shop where there is sawdust all over the floor. That's what Jesus is talking about. The point here is this. What you see in the other person's eye is insignificant like a speck of sawdust. If I had a speck of sawdust in my eye, you would only notice it if you got way too close to me. And that's Jesus' point. He's saying, why are you up in somebody else's business? Why are you so close to another person and what they're doing and what they're saying that you're actually able to see the speck in their eye? You ever see those bumper stickers on the road where it says, if, if you can read this bumper sticker, you are way too close to me back up? That's what Jesus is saying. If you can see such an insignificant piece of sawdust in another person's eye, you're up in their business. Back up. Because there's a log in your own eye. He goes on. Now, the word for log, he means a beam. He means a rafter, a roof rafter, something strong enough to support a second floor, something strong enough to support a roof. He's saying, why are you looking at their speck of sawdust when there is an eye beam sticking right in your face? Now, at this point, if you're really paying attention, you should be offended. You should be asking yourself, where does Jesus get off saying that I'm the one with the bigger problem? Where does he get off saying they only have a speck of sawdust to deal with and I've got a plank of wood, I have, an, uh, I have a two by ten? to deal with in my own life. Where does he get off saying I'm the one with the bigger problem? Well, it doesn't matter how big or small the problem is, it's your problem. The speck is their problem. The beam is your problem. Even if, if, you, even if you didn't instigate it and start it, even if it's just a little thing you said or a little thing you said, it's your problem. And it should be big to you. It should be a big deal to you. It should be such a big deal to you that it's the only thing you're paying attention to at the moment. He's speaking to people whose eyes are preoccupied with other people's faults, right, and blind to their own. 
For several years, I served uh, very part-time as a, as a conflict coach and mediator uh, where, where I, would, I, would, I would try and help people in churches and in marriages and, and in workplaces resolve their conflicts in a biblical way according to Christian principles. And, and during that time, I learned that the most critical factor for achieving reconciliation, and I think this applies from reconciliation in a marriage to reconciliation in a friendship to reconciliation in a church to reconciliation between people groups and ethnicities and even nations. I I think this applies all the way up in the human experience. The critical thing for achieving reconciliation is that both sides focus more on their own logs than the other person's specs. If each side of the conflict focuses on how they have contributed to it, when, 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 when each side says to themselves, my big problem is what's in me and I have to deal with that first, that's the best way we move towards reconciliation as fallen, sinful people. Both sides of the conf- conflict focus on their own logs first, and that is where you and I probably fail the most in our conflicts being able to focus on on the log in my own eye and resisting the temptation to pick out the speck in your eye. He goes on to say, verse 4, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Yeah? Right? I mean, Jesus was a funny guy. Because the illustration is pretty funny. It's ridiculous. It's supposed to be ridiculous because this is what you look like when you do it. When people see you picking at their sawdust, when you've got a beam in your eye, you look ridiculous. And you probably sound ridiculous too. And that's Jesus' point. You hypocrite, he goes on to say, verse 5. You hypocrite, first, take the log out of your eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, maybe the other person is at fault, you know, but but your blind hypocrisy makes the conflict worse. It, It aggravates the tension because even if they're at fault, mostly, what they see you doing is ignoring your own problem, and they get further entrenched. Well, if you're not going to change, I'm not going to change. So ignoring my own log, it it just intensifies the the conflict, complicates it, and prolongs it. One commentator on this passage wrote this, that the hypocrite's error, listen to this, the hypocrite's error is not his diagnosis. You see that? Pointing the speck out in you, I may be correct. I may be accurate in saying you've got this problem. This is what you said. This is what you did. This is what you need to fix. I may be accurate. But the commentator went on to say, regardless of the right diagnosis, it is the hypocrite's failure to apply to himself the criticism he so meticulously applies to his brother. Right? So Jesus is basically saying in conflict, Be a good carpenter. Fix what's wrong in you. Fix what's lacking in you. Fix what is even sinful in you and make it right. 
Attend to the termite-infested bean in your own house first. And then, only then, and maybe if it's appropriate and wise, then address their problem. But now you're, you're, you're standing on a firm foundation. You've checked the beans and they're, they're sturdy. And from that foundation, you can then help the other person. You can point out what's going on in them, but you're using discernment now, you see. You're using discernment. Now you're not judging one another. David in Psalm 139 said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me. Your first priority in a conflict is to inspect your own house. And if you have to, hire a building inspector. You know this, you don't buy a house or a building until you, you don't make that big investment until you hire an inspector and they come in and tell you, do you have termites? Do you have a crack in your foundation? What are the issues you're dealing with? Are you going to have to replace the boil, the, the water boiler? Are you going to have to replace the sec septic system soon? You go hire an inspector. And sometimes we have to do that because we can't see our own situations clearly. And so we talk to a friend or a Christian we respect and trust. And sometimes it's so severe that you hire a counselor to help you sort out what is wrong in your own house. And only then... Are you standing on a foundation of discernment and humility, having inspected your own being, to go and address somebody else who seems to have a piece of sawdust in their eye? And maybe it is a big deal, but you know what? Let them worry about that. It should be a big deal to them. And if they're looking at that piece of sawdust in their eye, guess what? It looks as big as a plank to them because it's in their eye. Okay, now, now we're in a much better state to pursue peace with each other. Dealing with the beams in our own eyes, we're more equipped now to approach one another and deal with the problem. But in fixing others, we really have to be just as careful because we can't fix everybody. And that's the part of the rest, the rest of this passage. Look at verse 6. Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Very famous phrase in the Bible. People use it for all, you know, if my kids don't like some movie I'm all excited about, I say pearls before swine. <laughs> You've probably heard that before, but, but I mean, here's, here's what's going on here. Jesus is, now, Jesus in, in John's gospel had said to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. Jesus said in one place, in this world you will have trouble. What he's saying here is, but don't go looking for it. Don't go looking for trouble. Don't throw what's holy to dogs. Don't give what's precious to pigs. Now remember, he's talking to a Jewish audience, and the ancient Jews would have understood holy food, ceremonially clean food, consecrated food, would never be thrown to unclean dogs. You're wasting it. The Jews would have also understood pearls being symbolic for wisdom. And you don't just throw pearls away to pigs. That's, that's wasteful. It was unthinkable to the Jews to do that. It was undiscerning to throw precious things to pigs 
and to waste ceremonially clean, consecrated food on dogs. The Jews would have understood that, and so here is Jesus' point. It is most unwise, it is most uh, dangerous, actually, to remove specks from people who are, are willing to receive your help and incapable of receiving your help. You ever met somebody who was incapable of hearing your point? Where you tried to help them, you tried to say something, even in love, even respectfully, and it just got worse. I remember many years ago, the first house that we lived in that we actually owned, one of the signs of the fact that we were ready to leave the community was, I saw one neighbor chasing another neighbor with a baseball bat. And I decided, I'm going to be very careful in how I deal with conflict when that neighbor's kids and my kids get into an argument with each other. You've got to know whether or not somebody is able to pick up what you put down, okay? And so that's what Jesus is saying here. Have you ever tried to remove a tiny splinter from a small child's finger? The child is screaming and crying and flailing violently. It's just a little splinter. Have you ever tried to take that splinter out? That's what Jesus is talking about. We're all adults here, and the stakes are way higher when we try and help a hurting person resolve their problems. If that person is unwilling to receive our help and incapable of understanding our wisdom, right? That's why Jesus is saying we have to use discernment here. The internal dynamics of what Jesus is saying is really important for pursuing peace with one another in the church. Very important. Here's the internal dynamics of it. Uh, we, we don't counsel one another or correct one another or rebuke one another without first assessing the situation. We assess ourselves. We assess prayerfully the other person. We look at the outside dynamics and, and before we speak, before we approach the other person. Ken Sandy, on his website, Relational Wisdom 360, says... That, and, and this is, I think you'll find this in all areas of life, that it is so important for us to be balanced human beings, that at all times we are aware of God, we are aware of ourselves, and we are aware of the people around us. And all of that's important. God-aware, self-aware, others-aware. And if you don't do that first, Jesus is saying, it's very possible that your advice is going to get trampled. You're going to get attacked. You're going to try and help, but you're going to make things worse because of your lack of discernment. And that lack of discernment in the ears and the eyes of the other person could just simply look like condemnation. You're judging me. And sometimes it could just be that the person is not capable of grasping and appreciating your help. Those are, the, those are the internal dynamics of what Jesus is saying, but there are external dynamics to what he's saying as well. It's really important. What Jesus is saying is important for the church's witness in a secular society. As our society is changing, this is really critical for how we act in public as Christians, for how the church carries itself in the broader community dare I say, how we even behave in the public arena like social media. The evangelical church for the last 100 years has developed a really bad habit 
of focusing on the specks in our society without dealing with the logs in our own eyes, the logs in our congregations and in our marriages and in how we parent and how we honor our parents or not. Just one example, and I'm going to unfairly simplify this, but just to give you an example of, uh, of the many things I'm, I'm, I'm referring to, it, it's like evangelical Christians pointing out all the sexual deviancies in our society, but ignoring our own sexual problems, ignoring the infidelity, ignoring the pornography problem inside the church, ignoring all of the church leaders who are turning into uh, getting involved in moral failure because of their own sexual deviancy. And, and you see, the problem when we do that, regardless of the issue, it could be any issue, when we do that, we just look and sound really obnoxious to our society. We, right? This is like the whole church. And then people, people stereotype Christians because this is, this is what they think of all of us because we just focus on the specs in the culture and in the society and we don't deal with the beams in our own house, the house of God. So there are huge stakes here. The external dynamics of what Jesus says, says is really, really important. A Christian must be more discerning and careful if we are called to fix others. What is absolutely unfixable in everyone, all of us, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, God bless you, but definitely for those who follow Christ, what is unfixable in every single one of us is our broken sense of judgment. And by extension, our broken sense of justice. Let's go back to verse two. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's a concept of reciprocity. In the Eastern world, they call it karma. People reap what they sow, Jesus says. God will condemn those who condemn others. Jesus is assuring us here that there is an absolute moral law in the universe that demands perfect justice of everybody, of every situation, of every act or deed ever committed. This is why it's so important that we not reserve ultimate judgment and condemnation to ourselves. This is why it's so important that we don't try and fix somebody else before we attempt to fix ourselves, especially with divisive issues, especially with social and political issues in our society that are extremely divisive and polarized. It's so important. It's dangerous to make your first priority other people's faults other people's blind spots because we rarely see clearly. That's why this is so dangerous. We rarely see clearly our sense of judgment and our sense of justice even is often tainted by our background, our personality, our own sins, however we're feeling in the moment, our emotions, our subjective perspective on the situation. It is rare that we see clearly, therefore often, maybe always, our sense of justice and our good judgment is imperfect. And whether you're left-leaning or right-leaning, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you are old, whether you are young, it, it, like God's justice levels the playing field. 
We are very different in lots of ways, but the one way we are all the same is God's justice is coming on all of us. God will judge a condemning heart. God will judge a judgmental heart. But he is the judge who sees clearly. You don't. You don't. I promise you, even in the conflict you're thinking about where you feel you're justified, maybe you are, and maybe you've been wrong, but you don't see clearly. Not like he does. So some discernment is really important. And he is the judge you need to see clearly in more ways than you can imagine. We need him for our conflicts. We need him in our divisive age. Here's what's so amazing about the perfect judge who sees clearly. His son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, was the spotless lamb of God. Jesus was perfect. He never did, thought, said anything wrong. He perfectly fulfilled God's justice and how he lived the human life. He was a spotless, perfect, speckless lamb. He had not a speck on him, not a speck in his character, not a log in his judgment. Perfect. And then God did the unthinkable. God gave what was holy to dogs. God gave what was precious to pigs, the Son of God, the wisdom of God, the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. We could not perceive his glory, the Bible tells us. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. We could not comprehend his message of peace and love and the coming kingdom of God. We could not comprehend any of that. We were ill-equipped because we were blinded by our own sin, and so we trampled his message, and we killed him. That's the amazing, scandalous, outrageous claim of the gospel of Christianity that God threw his pearls before humanity, that God gave what was precious to humanity who trampled it, and killed him. But what's amazing is that the speckless lamb of God satisfied God's justice for my logs and for the logs in your eye. The lamb of God satisfied God's perfect justice for the crushing beams in your own life that you cannot support on your own. The son of God died hanging on a beam to save you from the beams that you cannot remove from your own eyes. As the Apostle Peter put it, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. God is a peacemaker. That's why we're doing all of this. God is a peacemaker. Our Lord Jesus is a peacemaker. And when the true judge sees you now, this is also why you need, you, you need God's perfect vision for your conflicts because you lack that kind of discernment, but you also need to understand the way the perfect judge sees you. He not only sees your conflicts clearly, he now sees you in a different light because his son died for you. When the judge of the universe sees you now, this is what he sees. Listen up, this is so important. When the judge of the universe sees you now, he sees no specks on your record. He sees no log in your eye. When the perfect judge looks at you who believe in his son and trust in his son, 
he sees his son's righteousness. That's the beautiful, outrageous thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ and his good news. You know all the things you've done. You know all the things you said. And if you can't think of one, oh, God, have mercy on you. But you know who you truly are in your heart. And yet God looks at you. And because of his son, he sees the spotless lamb of God, Jesus' righteousness, a perfect record given to you, not a speck, not a beam, nothing if you trust Jesus and stop trying to fix yourself and stop trying to fix other people and let his righteousness fix you. That's what the judge sees. And I hope you will begin to see things that way. When that righteousness becomes enough for you, the perfect righteousness of Jesus given to you by faith in him, when that becomes enough for you, You don't have to try and play with people's specs. You deal with your own. You you don't have to try and blame shift and come up with excuses. When Christ's righteousness is enough and you know that it is yours, you don't have to play around anymore with specs and logs. You can say, man, I really have done this. I really am a mess. I really have hurt you. I said a horrible thing to you. Let me deal with that. Because Christ has already dealt with it. He has already paid the cost of that. So in freedom, you can deal with the mess in your own house. And then, when appropriate, when appropriate, you help somebody else. And you can say, thank you, Jesus. You died for this log of mine. Help me remove it so that I can be a peacemaker. Don't attempt to fix other people until you've begun to fix yourself. Let Jesus' perfect righteousness fix you for good in God's eyes. And now you're on the road towards healing. And then you can let the justice of a perfect God who's coming back to bring justice in all ways, you can let God's justice satisfy the frustration you have right now with other people, with the world, with those people. God will deal with it. Deal with yourself. And now we are more ready to pursue peace with each other. So stay tuned for the next several Sundays where we will continue to explore and rejoice in the doctrines of peace. Let's pray. Our great God, we praise you. We praise you that you are a good father, that you remember our sins no more. You cast them away as far as the east is from in the west. Completely, fully, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have died for the logs that we keep finding. And we, we move one father, <laughs> and then another one shows up. Like we keep finding things that we have to remove from our eyes, Father. There's so much to inspect. Thank you that Jesus paid for it all. Just as it keeps popping up in our lives, help us to see clearly, to use discernment, to be humble, and to remove those logs from our eyes. And give us great wisdom, Father, each of us. Give us so much wisdom and humility as we try and help one another, as we try and encourage each other, admonish one another. Lord, I pray that we would only do it, we would only do it when we have assessed ourselves first. Help us to be discerning as a church. Also, help us to be discerning as Christians 
um, in our relationships with our non-Christian friends and family, our neighbors, our co-workers. Help us to not be obnoxious, but to, like your son, the Prince of Peace, be people of peace. In his name, amen.